The Fourth Wall, Episode 14, Duncan Jones. You're listening to The Fourth Wall, a podcast that takes you beyond the screen or the page and brings you into our conversations with the creative people behind your favorite movies, TV shows, comics, and more. My name is Michael R. I'm the podcast editor here at Den of Geek. And today we are talking to famed director Duncan Jones, who actually started his movie career with an award-winning movie called Moon back in 2009. And he's actually here to talk to us about the 10th anniversary of that movie, upon which Sony has decided to release a 4K Ultra HD version of the movie, which should be a lot of fun, especially for those of you who haven't seen it, but also maybe for those of you who have And you'll see why as we talk to Duncan about this uh, new version of the movie. Now, Duncan Jones obviously also went on to direct such movies as Source Code, Warcraft, and you can also catch his upcoming production of Rogue Trooper, a nice comic book movie based on the, the British 2000 AD comic title. And he'll talk about all of those things in this interview. So it should be a good one for you. So go ahead and take a listen to our interview with Duncan Jones for the 10th anniversary of moon. All right. We're here with Duncan Jones, who is the director of moon and many other properties after that, but that's uh, the directorial debut. And we're here to talk to him about Sony's decision to release this movie in a 4k ultra HD edition, which is very exciting. Welcome to the podcast, Duncan. Thanks, Michael. Nice to talk to you, buddy. (laughs) Now, with Moon being such a visually evocative film, what do you think will really pop off the screen for viewers with this new format? Well, uh, I'm hoping it's going to be things things that are are going to pop off are going to be in a good way. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Because this was such a, a small budget movie. You know, back when we made it, a lot of the set was built using kind of pre-existing bits and pieces and, and things that we bought at Ikea and, um, <laughs> and other things like that. So hopefully the way we have polished up this movie and kind of brought it to a, a new level of fidelity is, is not going to reveal all of the tricks and trades of, you know, that we got away with back when it was 2K. Well, the, I mean, I think the part of the charm is seeing like the coffee stains on Gertie and uh, the post-it notes being able to read them. So, you know, it'll be fun. Oh, absolutely. No, I mean, look, I, I've seen it and I, and I think it looks beautiful. Um, you know, one of the unique things about Moon is is how much we were able to do in camera just because of the approach we took. Um, we built this absolutely beautiful film set that was the moon base. It was a full 360-degree set that you would go into in the mornings and you would shoot all day with the door sealed. So you literally felt like you were in the base and no matter where you pointed the camera, you would be kind of in, in the base. And I think that's always been one of the unique things about moon is both on the base and then also when you were in the exteriors and we were using model miniature work, uh, there was obviously some a, a lot of very important post-production work and, and visual effects that were done on top of what we shot, but so much of it was in camera that it really has a, a, a tactile nature that I think just comes across gloriously in 4K. Oh, yeah, especially the, the moon vistas or the earth rise, that kind of thing. But speaking of that, was anything of what we saw outside of the moon base real? You mentioned miniatures. I mean, how did you achieve so much with so little and how much was green screen and how much was actual practical sets? It was very limited uh, green screen. In fact, 
you know, very limited. Um, the, the live action full, full moon base that we built had a couple of green screens up in the tower um, where, where Sam Rockwell would go and kind of look around outside of the base from inside the tower. Those were some green screens, but, the, but all of the exterior work that we did, where the rovers were driving around and Sam was kind of dancing around on the regolith on the, on the lunar surface, that was a model miniature shoot. And we actually did that, the, the sort of the final week of our full shoot. Um, and we built this lunar landscape, essentially out of concrete powder and, and, and other material. And it was approximately, I'd say maybe 20 feet by 20 feet. And we would sh- we shot there for, like, as I said, for a week. And every night, myself and Gavin Rothery, who was the VFX co-supervisor and, and concept artist, we would basically dig up the landscape and turn it into a different part of the moon for the next day's shooting. Oh, wow. <laughs> and, and a lot of that was shot with black drapes. So instead of actually using green screen to kind of have to replace everything a lot of the time you'd actually be able to get stuff in camera um and wouldn't actually need to add anything sometimes we would depending on what the shot was and sometimes we put in extra light flares and and little bits of dust kicking up from the tires of the of the vehicles but we really did get most of that in camera that's amazing And, and of course a big part of the success of the movie in addition to those uh great sets is the performance of sam rockwell and i have to wonder how did your orbit intercept Sam Rockwell's? Because we heard that originally you even had him in mind for your wonderful Netflix film, Mute. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the original, you know, I, I had sort of come out of film school and was working on this film project, Mute, um, which is something that I'd wanted to make for, for a long time. And, and I always thought Sam would be fantastic for that. But he had already played a number of villains and was concerned about being typecast. You know, back then, obviously, you soared to, to huge success since then. But, you know, the, the role I wanted him to play was quite a dark, dark one that he wasn't interested in. But we met up to discuss that film and we just kind of really got on incredibly well and started talking about the kinds of films that would be fun to make together and the kinds of roles that he would be interested in. And it was out of that conversation for that other film that I decided to write a film specifically for him. Um, and that's what Moon was. And then looking at your career path between Moon and Mute, you know, you had this British indie film, and then you went to a couple of Hollywood scale movies, Warcraft and Source Code, yeah. and then Mute, which feels very much like a return to that wonderful indie feel. Is there a certain appeal to the smaller budget filmmaking, especially when you're part of the writing process? Um. Well, I have been involved in the writing on everything I've done. I'm not always credited, but yes. I've always been involved in the writing. <laughs> um, I think indie films have very unique freedoms that obviously studio studio films don't, but obviously they also, they also have their own limits, mainly on resources um, and scale of, of what you can do. I really do enjoy doing both, and, and I definitely see them as being two very distinct jobs that you the approaches that you have to take with them but part of the fun that i have making movies is the puzzle solving nature of of making a movie both the creative side of 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 trying to work out what are your limits before you begin a project and then how can i tell the story which i'm interested in telling within the limits that you're being given and i think um you approach that in two different ways when you're working with a studio as opposed to when you're working independently, but they're both very enjoyable process for me. So some things lend themselves more to going the studio route 
than the independent route. Uh, Rogue Trooper, which is a film I'm doing next, which is a, a, an adaption of a, of a 2000 AD character, which is this British comic book. Very, you know, I, I would say it's kind of like the Marvel or DC of Britain. Yes. <laughs> that, that's an interesting project because it's kind of right on the edge between do we do this as a studio film or do we do this as an indie film? It's like kind of difficult. That, that's kind of what we're navigating right now is it's pretty chunky for an indie film. It's pretty big for an indie film, but it's probably not the scale of, of what you would normally expect from a, from a studio film. And I'm definitely going to ask you a question about Rogue Trooper in a minute, but sure. I want to talk a little bit about the HD version here, because this is such a, a cool idea. Because this is an, a re-release of Moon, there's going to be those who have already seen the film. So are there any visual clues that a repeat viewer could sort of catch in the background that would allow them to kind of have <laughs> a, a secondary level of enjoyment, realizing what's really going on? There's a lot of details that are kind of hidden in there, which I think you'll probably get a better a better look at in the 4K. Um, some of it's just for fun rather than necessarily sort of story-specific ones or, or story-revealing ones. There are a couple of story-revealing ones, and I think you'd probably notice on the walls of where Sam sleeps, there's kind of this, there's these little round happy faces that he puts on the walls, and you can kind of get a better, clearer chance to see that he's been doing this for a long time. <laughs> it's this is not the first time he's been putting these little smiley faces before. Ah, uh, yes, I did notice that. Yeah, um, and then another one, which is more kind of just a fun one, is the names of all of the plants that he has in his growing room. <laughs> yeah, um, they're they're all kind of named. You can kind of see it in the original, but you can get a much clearer idea and, and actually read the names on all those plants and see that they're named after a lot of the directors who we were looking up to when we were when we were making the movie. So there's there's you know there's Ridley. There's Catherine. There's 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 a, there's a number of different directors who are who are on those uh, plants. No, oh, that's really cool. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, um, coming off of all the awards that Moon won, including a BAFTA for outstanding directorial debut. Yeah. Did your career kind of have a period of high expectations for this newcomer on the scene that you had to navigate? <laughs> and uh, how did that all happen? The, the, the awards, I, honestly, the, the awards could not have come at a better time for me personally with what I was trying to do. I had, you know, we'd made Moon. My producer and I were both terrified that this film was just going to disappear and no one was going to see it and we were never going to be heard of again and not get the chance to make any more movies. So we had vigorously and aggressively looked for, okay, what's the next film we can do? How can we, how can we make sure that we're going to get to make a second movie? And fortunately, Jake Gyllenhaal reached out to me, who had loved Moon, and he said, look, I'm doing this project, Source Code, and I really think if you like it, this is something that we could do together that I think we could, we could do a good job with. So he brought me on to Source Code. Now, having just come off of this tiny British independent film and jumping into this film with Jake, who is a big star, with all of these very well-established producers and a studio involved, you know, I was very much a a, a small fry on that on the, on the initial putting together of that project, and then I basically, you know, in pre-production, had to fly across to the UK to pick up my award. And when I came back, I was the BAFTA-winning director of Moon, which which really made <laughs> a difference. I can't tell you; it, it genuinely made a difference the way I was treated and how I was able to basically lead that production, having come back, having won those awards. It was a real change of how I was treated by the industry working on this second film. 
Oh, that's great. And I just thought of while you were saying that a couple of things that you could spot in the background too, if you're a genre fan like I am, Benedict Wong and Matt Berry. Oh yeah. Pre um, <laughs> their current that's work. Very true. That's much clearer. <laughs> Yes, no, that's very true. Yeah, those guys are, are just were, were really good fun. I had known them from before making the film and just wanted them to come in and do a cameo. Um, but you're right that the the, uh, the original the original version of the film you could barely tell who those guys are. Um, so no, it's, it's <laughs> that's absolutely you get a proper view of the cameo there. <laughs> that's right. Now I did want to end our discussion here with the future for Duncan Jones because you're currently in pre-production for the hard sci-fi adaptation of the British comic rogue trooper, which you've characterized your script on social media as it's kind of like guardians of the galaxy had a baby with the raid. So what can you tell us about your personal connection to this story? Well, look, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, a bit of a flag waver for 2000 AD. I love that comic book. I grew up with it. It's the home of judge dread. That's probably the character that, that most Americans will have heard of. Um, Judge Dredd in the comic book is very, very different from really from either of the movies, either the Stallone Judge Dredd movie or the, or the Dredd movie that came with uh, that Carl Urban did. Although, you know, the Carl Urban one was great, but it's, it's still kind of, the, the comic book is, is, is actually quite political and there's a very acerbic sense of humor to it. It's, it's really good fun. 2000 AD. They, they have a whole stable of characters and one of my favorites is this character, Rogue Trooper, who is a, a kind of a, a future soldier caught up in this unending war on a planet called New Earth. He was kind of one of the early original kind of characters from that comic. And look, there's no bones about it. 2000 AD is very well known in the UK, not very well known beyond the UK. And I think they've seen how successful Marvel was at building up you know, from smaller films to bigger films and how Iron Man was kind of the, the flag in the sand for them. And I think they see Rogue Trooper as possibly being our way of really setting up, okay, this is what 2000 AD is about. This is why people enjoy it. Let's see if we can get an audience beyond just the UK to, to come along for the ride. Well, as a sci-fi fan myself and I really enjoyed Moon and I think Rogue Trooper is in good hands. So I wish you the best of luck. Thank you so much. All right. That was such a great interview with Duncan Jones, who is just such a great person to talk to about any of his projects. But this was a particularly good one since Moon had so many great accolades and there's so many reasons to enjoy that movie. And, you know, you might have even caught his original idea for a movie and for Sam Rockwell, Mute, which was on Netflix. And that project did eventually get made as well, of course, as you heard. So enjoyed hearing from Duncan Jones about all the different projects he's been involved in. But that'll wrap things up for this episode. Come back in two weeks for the next edition of the podcast, when we'll break through the fourth wall once again to talk to another creator or performer behind the entertainment that you love. Remember to follow Den of Geek on Twitter and Facebook at Den of Geek US. My name is Michael R. And you can follow me at Mike Sci-Fi. Find more content at denofgeek.com. And thanks for listening. Join us again next time, Beyond the Fourth Wall.